I don't worry about AI versus human, but I do worry about AI plus human. One more myth that we could explore. AI will replace human creativity. <laughs> I love this one. Right now, we are living in a particularly fragile moment of history. It's a very deep moral question. I don't know why, but every time you say collective human stupidity, it makes me feel very at home. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Being Human podcast with Amelia Vegting and Jez Francis. Brought to you by Just Add Water. Hi, I'm Amelia Begting. And I'm Jez Francis. Welcome to the Being Human podcast, where with special guests, we explore what it means to be human in this world we find ourselves living in. Today's topic is a little different to some of our previous episodes, as instead of exploring another human experience or a feeling, we're actually going to be looking at the interaction between human and artificial intelligence. Yeah, not a day goes past without an AI-related story popping up in the news, seemingly. Uh, so it's a very relevant and current conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one that's only going to get more and more air time as technology evolves further. There are lots of articles and stories um, generally in the news about the sort of threat of AI, but um, last week on The Guardian um, online, there was an interesting piece, which was a day in the life of AI, which sort of ran through all the touch points at which we interact with AI, you know, every day, whether it's unlocking your phone with facial recognition to turn off your alarm, getting your lunch from a supermarket, security doorbells, any health apps, trackers on your phones, you know, personalised ads. I mean, a list just goes on and on and on. This makes me realise that I just don't understand what AI is <laughs> and how it's being used today or indeed how it will evolve. <laughs> Luckily, it's not just down to you and me, Jez. We've got a brilliant guest joining us to explain all of this and so much more. But I think before we get into that conversation, we should remind ourselves of what being human is all about. When people see me, they tend to turn away because I'm boring. Yes, boring things about me, our celebration of some of life's less exciting moments that we all experience and are part and parcel of being human. Jez, kick us off. How have you been particularly boring this week? Right, so I'm in the middle of a Sudoku crisis. <laughs> How does that sound? Excellent. Keep going. So, so um, on the train into London every morning, in the past, I've always been able to do the Metro newspaper, the free newspapers, quick crossword, yeah. and then the easy, moderate and challenging Sudoku games. Oh, show off. In, in that order. <laughs> um, but in the last, I don't know, couple of weeks or so, uh, I've been really struggling to complete all four of them. And this has really irritated me. Oh, um, what's changed? I don't know is the honest answer, but it's annoyed me far more than I was expecting it to. <laughs> And I feel quite stressed as I pick up the copy of the newspaper at the station, um, wondering whether or not today is going to be the day where I sort of, you know, break my um, chain of poor results. Um, so I have been wondering what's behind this. Yeah. Um, you know, has the journey got shorter? Has the challenging Sudoku got more difficult? Because that's the one I usually struggle with. Right. You know? Or am I experiencing some sort of cognitive decline? <laughs> you know. Um, How did you get on this morning? Did you do it? No, today? I didn't. Oh. No, I didn't oh, manage to do it either. I'm sorry, um, I asked. So given my Sudoku crisis and the angst I'm experiencing as a result of it, I last week when we were out buying lunch, I spotted a copy of The New Scientist in Tesco mm -hmm. um, with a feature article on the cover that was all about new insights into cognitive decline and, and how to slow it down. So oh, I thought, yeah, yeah perfect. definitely, yeah. definitely for me. So I bought a copy. Right. And now I don't know where I've put it. <laughs> for God's sake. True story. Anyway, look, we'll there we are. we have to go find it. <laughs> That's boring things about me. What about you, Amelia? Um, well, mine is all about the world of was-gidges. 
Sorry. Say that again. <laughs> a a wasgidge. Have you heard oh, of those? No, a wasgidge. No, I haven't. Well, wasgidge is actually jigsaw spelt backwards. So I was down um, visiting Luke, my boyfriend. He lives in Bristol. And we spent our Friday evening, Saturday morning, and pretty much all of Sunday completing our wasgidge, which is a hard, harder word to say than I thought it was. Anyway, what it is, is it's jigsaw with a twist. Instead of being provided with the image you're supposed to recreate with all the pieces in the box, mm-hmm. you're provided with an image which is your sort of starting inspiration point. So our one was a pub, sort of old school, traditional... Boozer. Boozer, exactly. But our challenge was from one of the individual's perspective on the box, we were to create a pub... 50 years into the future. So you don't have the image to go off of. You're not trying to piece together something that you can directly see. It's jigsawing on steroids in yeah, terms oh of the challenge. Me. It's hurting my brain. It sounds like yes. some AI might help, actually. It would abs- well, I think that would shortcut the process <laughs> and probably take out the fun of it. But it takes an incredibly long amount of time to do. You're trying to piece together on ones that have similar colours. You don't know what your final picture is going to give you. And that end result, when you finally get that, is it was weirdly satisfying. Yeah, some might say boring, but we had a really wonderful time. So there we have it. Boring things about me. Joining us today, we have got the brilliant Jennifer Dew Scott, entrepreneur, investor and technologist specialising in deep tech and artificial intelligence. Jennifer was one of Fortune's the most influential businesswomen in China in 2021 and was a Forbes top 50 women in tech in 2018 and a co-chair of the Fortune Global Tech Forum in 2019. Her TED Talk, Why You Should Get Paid For Your Data, has had over 3.3 million views. Jen, welcome to the Being Human podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Amelia. Great to be here. Jen, thank you for joining us. Before we throw ourselves into your world, we thought we'd ask you a few questions to get to know you a bit better first. Absolutely. Jen, what's the favorite app on your phone at the moment and why? Good question. Um I don't like most of the apps, uh, but I do love photos um, on my iPhone because uh, especially now they bring out some of the old pictures on your phone. I think once the past is past and future is not here and all we have is really in the memories. So especially with my kids, um, looking at those old pictures, I think that's my most cherished. That's my life. So that's my favorite apps. Most of other apps on my phone, I feel like it's a, it's a burden. Um, it takes away a lot of my attention from the nature, from myself, from people around me. Is that something that sort of plays on your mind when you're using technology? It does. We have arrived to the point where just being human, experience that moment without any assistance of any technology is an effort. Mm. And uh, whenever there's something exciting happen. Um, our immediate instinct is often take off our phone, take it, you know, take a video or take a picture Mm. because guess what? If if it's not posted on social media, it did not happen. But while we're doing that, we forgot to just register that and to use our natural sensory, um, to register every bit of that experience in that moment. And if it's fleeting and the fleeting nature of self is a beauty as well. So, I think we forgot about that. So I'm very conscious about how technology is competing our attention and our time. Mm. Jen, what has made you smile this week? 
I just had a very long trip in Middle East and uh, I feel exhausted um, coming home to see my two girls. They give me a big hug and especially the teenage girls, they, you know, not very good at expressing their emotions <laughs> or prefer not to express the emotions. But after this long trip, I came home and they give me a big hug and say, Mom, I really miss you. Um, nothing beats that. So that gave me a big smile. How long were you away for? I was away for 10 days. Felt longer because, you know, how exhausting that trip was. What did you want to be when you were growing up? I, I was um, um, living in a very remote, uh, very rural area in West China at the foot of Himalaya um, in Sichuan. And uh, so we were really ignorant and uninformed and uh, I had no idea what the outside world looked like. I had no idea about, you know, all these different occupations that's so normal in the Western world. So when I was a kid, um, I just really want to be become a teacher because once you become a teacher, you have um, unlimited access to chalks and you can use all the different colored chalks. <laughs> that, was, that was my dream. So um, <laughs> I love that. Um, but of course, you know, I think... My generation grew up in mainland China. Not only were the luckiest generation in China, we probably, you know, the luckiest generation in the entire human history. Our upbringing overlap with China's extraordinary transformation. The type of the wealth building usually takes about 300 years, 400 years, condensing to 40 years in China. And that's basically our life. Yeah. So anything, you know, we thought... Um, was uh, relevant when we were a kid, became completely relevant as we grow up. And somehow I lived this whole life um, in one body, in, you know, as me. It, you know, when, when you have this kind of experience, your mindset is very, very different, right? You don't assume things going to stay the same. Uh, your assumptions that things will always change. And I think in the world we live in today, that's a good place to be in terms of attitude. Jen, let me ask you... Um, if you were marooned on a desert island and were allowed to bring three items with you, what would they be and why? <laughs> um, am I allowed to bring a sailor? <laughs> um, That's very good. I think if it's on my own, I will bring a magnified glass to start a fire, um, a large Swiss army knife, and um, I would need a very robust container um, that I can use to capture water. That's very practical, yeah, isn't it? Survival yeah, survival instincts kick in. And what about from a spiritual point of view? What would you take with you to keep your mind ticking over? Uh, I will bring a very handsome sailor. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that spiritual? Certainly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most honest answer we've yeah. ever had, isn't it? Tremendous. Um, Jen, if you could have a conversation with your younger self, what would be a piece of advice that you would give to her? Steer clear of sailors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably just um, tell myself that I am enough because from my upbringing and many of my fellow countrymen, you know, from my generation growing up, everywhere we went, we didn't belong. Mm. So this kind of very deep-seated insecurity has accompanied most of us. And um, if you talk to uh, mainland Chinese of my age, the vast majority of us didn't have anything um, when we grow up. 
and uh, didn't have the opportunity to expose to uh, what's considered normal in Western society. So we always have this imposter syndrome growing up. So looking back, I, yeah, I would love to tell myself, you know, you're more than enough. Mm. That's really nice. I actually think that that message to so many young people now is really important with everything that's going on and all this social comparisons and social media. I think you are enough is a brilliant thing for everybody to hear when they're young and feel it when they're young as well. I think especially I have two teenage daughters Mm. and I just think this generation of uh, teenagers and youth who grow up with social media is uh, uh, not easy to be in this generation because back then we were just surrounded and compared with people surrounding us. Now they've been constantly compared with uh, impossible standards that show on social media. Often those kind of beauty and, you know, achievements, et cetera, is uh, enhanced one way and another. And, um, yeah, so I think uh, you're right, Amelia. I think, um, you know, to tell the younger generation that you are enough, just be yourself mm. is very important. Should we move on to talk about the world of technology and, yeah. how, and how it interacts with us as human beings? So, Jen, could you tell us a little bit about your story? How did you get to where you are today? I grew up in the family where my, my dad was engineer and um, he's uh, more specifically telecom. Um, so back then, telecom engineer also means very hands-on, um, really building, you know, the fixing the power lines, fixing all these um, hardware problems um, for landline telephones. So um, I grew up in the environment where there were always tools, um, my dad and my brothers taking things apart and putting them back together. And, uh, I was part of it. So I feel very comfortable with the technology or, um, mechanics. And, and then when I went to university, I studied applied mathematics. And, uh, once you have this kind of foundation, especially today, if you look at some of the most cutting edge technologies coming from AI or blockchain, um, ultimately they're math. So if you could have that kind of foundation, then it becomes very natural to look into neuroscience as a result of uh, trying to understand how machine process information and think. You need to really understand how human brain to process information and think. So my life has been um, a series of uh, rabbit holes that, you know, some of them I was able to pull myself out. Others, um, I've been there in years and could not get myself out. Like Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) Yes, a bit. So curiosity is the hallmark of how you see things, is it? I think so. Um, We have to be curious about life, Mm. um, about everything that's happening around us, about all the possibilities. It's also fun. Mm. Um, When you see something working, don't you want to understand how that works? Why the other way doesn't work? How did we get here? What was the history and thinking behind it? Who figured this out? It's infinitely fascinating. Mm. Um, To me, I think staying curious is such an important part of our life. And um, I'm, I'm glad I I have the means and also have the bandwidth to get into all these rabbit holes that I love so dearly. 
Jen, until we booked you to speak at one of our clients' recent global leadership team events when I saw you speak, I will admit I didn't know a huge amount about AI. Could you just explain a little bit about what artificial intelligence is in really simple terms? Sure. Um, Many people think AI is a new thing, but the concept um, actually has been with us since 1950s, um, since Alan Turing conceived the idea of uh, synthetic intelligence, not coming from our brain, but coming from computer. Essentially, artificial intelligence, even today, is a simulation of um, a thinking process using a large set of data. The difference compared to earlier uh, version of artificial intelligence compared to today, Gen AI, is um, how much the algorithm will be able to make sense of um, the data available and um, come up with a, a solution. Artificial intelligence essentially is um, to use data and algorithm to produce those results to enable us as human uh, recognize pattern a little bit better, planning a little bit better, achieve efficiency a lot better. So efficiency and innovation and speed of ideas is, is at its core. Um, I think at its core, if we compare the human intelligence and the machine intelligence for a second, mm. human intelligence is a result of 4 billion years of unbroken biological chain that we gradually evolve. And uh, if you think about as human, our brain from the moment we were born to the moment we die, we're constantly taking infinite types of data. There's sound, there's voice, there's relationship between sound and voice, and there's color, um, there's texture, there's um, you know emotion associated with, the, with this um, um, uh, data. And uh, sometimes we memorize those data, sometimes we process those data, and sometimes we solve solutions with those data. Machine intelligence ultimately is still very much from calculating zero to once. Mm. So ultimately, that's still the case. So often with the traditional AI, you also need to give a predetermined algorithm to say, I want you to do this, right? So for example, for you know one of the most advanced AI companies in the world based in London, DeepMind, one of the most important breakthroughs in AI was in 2016, they developed AlphaGo and AlphaGo Zero that not only just de- defeated the uh, human Go player uh, champion, mm-hmm. but also defeated itself as playing Go games. So yeah. now AlphaGo Zero is um, unchallenged um, champion, absolute champion in the world in terms of play Go game. But AlphaGo Zero cannot do anything else, right? right. We as human, none of us on this uh, podcast can play, you know, go champion, but we can learn practically everything. Anything that's thrown in front of us may take some time, but we'll be able to learn. We'll be able to process. So I think fundamentally human intelligence and machine intelligence is so different that for machine, the biggest advantage is that it can process inhumanly possible amount of data and be able to recognize pattern, you know, find a solution. So because of this fundamental difference between how machine intelligence and human intelligence work, it makes human and machine intelligence a very natural partners. Yeah. 
instead of replacing each other. Yeah. You know, I think this is a very important principle as we adopt AI is uh, human in the loop, right? You mm-hmm. have to design AI in the way that not only just uh, human always has principle, human has the right to intervene and human can give feedback and AI cannot be the principle, has to always follow human's instruction. So I was going to ask you about that, Jen, actually. In the news this week, there's a statement from the Centre for AI Safety that, and and this is a quote, so mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. Um, And this statement was signed by AI scientists, CEOs of AI technologies, including DeepMind, actually, I believe, um, and other notable individuals. So... In your opinion, how, how worried should we be about AI? And, and so what needs to happen then to ensure that AI develops safely? So there are a lot of uh, fear mongers out there mm. um, talking about, you know, AI is going to replace human, etc. Uh, I don't agree with a lot of fear mongers because when, whenever they talk about, you know, AI can and cannot do, um, it sounds more like science fiction uh, instead of what AI can or actually cannot do. However, having said that, I think um, right now we are living on a particularly fragile moment of history because the capability is running so fast and we haven't really figured out how to manage this process um, and how who to manage this process. For human, especially international society to get organized in a way, um, it's, it always takes time and it's very complex. So what it means is that AI is relying on what the data out there that's available and human processing information based on our culture, history, our emotion, our family ties, you know, our upbringing, etc. There is an inherent misalignment between AI and human value. Mm. And In order to translate human value into AI, it's not that easy Mm. because what it means is that we need to translate our human value into logic and then use that logic to input into AI. I don't think we can ever get there because anyone, you don't need to understand math, you don't need to understand AI. You know, if I say all your human relations, now I'm going to translate that into a mathematical formula you would say it's impossible, right? So so human value and AI have inherent uh, misalignment. Now, the next question is how do we bridge this misalignment with regulation, with value-based leadership, with the tech companies, um, with consumer awareness, et cetera? Mm. It's not an easy task. And to get us completely organized in all this area would take some time. The problem is that right now, technically, AI is running much, much faster than a human process. Mm. So I also think it's quite dangerous in the way that um, I don't worry about AI versus human, but I do worry about AI plus human. So let me play a, a probably a more extreme but not impossible scenario within our lifetime. Sure. Yeah. Let's say... Um, Right now, when we look at phone, every time we have a conversation, we can't remember, remember something that, you know, interaction with your smartphone is kind of enhancement to our thinking and memory process. When that phone becomes a, a chip in our brain, then that will become a very powerful enhancement for a human being. And that will, that will have some costs associated to it. So that, that means not everybody will be able to access that. Yeah. So 
within our lifetime, at least within our my children's lifetime, it's possible if we're not careful, we will have this kind of a fundamentally advanced human being that becomes superhuman. If you think my generation, for me, coming from the very bottom of the society, but because I work hard, I study hard, and I'm smart, and I will be able to get ahead. And if that happens, people in the bottom will never be able to get ahead because they're just not as smart, as fast, as healthy. They they don't live longer. They have more diseases, etc. So a lot of those possibilities now right in front of us who can say what can be done and cannot be done? And uh, who can decide who can say, set those rules? It's a very deep uh, moral question. Mm. And um, I think we're at this juncture right now. We have to be very careful. Jen, can you share with us a, a, an example of AI, a practical application of it that's really exciting you at the moment? So I think... The part that I'm most excited about is um, right now in terms of using AI medical advancement. Mm. Um, Recent few days, I've been reviewing a couple of companies. They use deep learning to recognize the image of a retina and uh, use that to diagnose from Alzheimer's disease to uh, cardiovascular diseases, diabetes, etc. So if we manage to commercialize that, basically... For any of us, uh, especially if you think about in continents like Africa, where physician to population is one in a few thousands Mm. and mobile phone is one in a few individuals. And by scanning your retina, we'll be able to diagnose a lot of those diseases will be significant improvement of of humanity. And all this are right in in front of us right now. It's very possible. And uh, it's technically it's already done. It's just a matter of how to scale. And I think that's truly, truly exciting. Lots of myths exist about AI. We thought we'd take the opportunity, if you don't mind, to help you know either confirm or deny Please. some of these myths. Generative AI doesn't make any mistakes. Is that is that true? That is so not true. <laughs> That's that could be further from truth. So Gen AI is built on large language model. Large language model coming from pretty much social media mm. and you know everything online. And one thing is consistent in our human history is uh, our collective stupidity. (laughs) So I think, you know, being a student of math, I, you know, we tested ChatGPT, you know, many times with uh, some contextual logic problems or math problems. It has consistently been, you know, very bad. And I mean, it's improving. Every time we discover something, it will improve. But, um, um, GBT type of uh, products typically are very bad in math because uh, because it's based on large language model and uh, large language model is consensus. But good math does not care about consensus. Good math is just good math. Yeah. Um, mm. It could be one person is correct and the rest of all wrong, but there's also only just that answer is the right. That's interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that is interesting. Um, I like this one as well. Gen AI is self-improving and autonomous. I don't want to say this is not so black and white mm. a question for this. Um, first, to debunk that self-improving, it, it doesn't necessarily self-improving. It based on interaction. So, for example, ChatGPT four came out. 
compared to there was research uh, compared to when you first launch and a few months after the math got worse because again collective human stupidity <laughs> i don't know why but every time you say collective human stupidity it makes me feel very at home <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we're all part of it. And um, when AI rely, rely on reading pattern of large amount of data, it doesn't always mean it, it gets better. It doesn't always mean give you the wisdom and, you know, um, but, but also I don't, I, I do think that uh, generative AI has tremendous ability to, to learn and improve. Mm. But in terms of being autonomous, I think probably people... Uh, referring to some sort of agency, like, you know, AI has become self-aware and, um, you know, have its agency. Uh, Again, I disagree with that. I think um, this this could go very, very deep in terms of talk about what is conscious. Uh, Human being, we don't really understand what is our human conscious yet. Um, We are still exploring and it's a very deep question. So to say that AI is... uh, is conscious is a very lazy uh, assumption. Even when we talk about artificial intelligence, sometimes I feel a little bit misleading because a lot of those AI we interact with, they're not artificial and not intelligent. A lot of those um, answers we get are quite silly. And um, I always say with the ChatGPT, a feature is uh, you get you you consistently get plausible bullshit. <laughs> I'm allowed to say this word on this podcast. No, all um, good. absolutely. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, this one's definitely need to be debunked. Very good. Maybe one more myth that we could explore. Um, this is one that I find particularly interesting. So AI will replace human creativity. <laughs> um, I love this one. You know, if you look at the history of uh, human creativity, is the best way to predict the future. If you think about Da Vinci, mm. you know, when he was creating Mona Lisa, he used a lot of science, but there's a lot of accuracy. Art at that time, the job was to faithfully record what was reality. Mm. And then you look at after photography uh, was invented, and then there was uh, impressionism that's not necessarily realistic, mm. but somewhat represent the real, you know, reality, all the way to Picasso and Pollock and those kind of, you know, modern, postmodern, um, abstract mm. artists. If Da Vinci had a look at Pollock's, he would think this is a piece of garbage. <laughs> yeah. It's not art, right? So for us right now, in terms of what human can create right now, for us to imagine um, what might be created with AI would be a little bit, you know, being Da Vinci, imagine Pollock and try to understand Pollock. Mm. So I think human will continue to create it. It's part of our nature. Yeah. Uh, one thing I love doing is to watch someone who's very creative already, how they use AI. Yeah. And they use, they use those tools completely differently. I always say that the last generation of digital economy was largely dominated by consumer internet, which is TikTok, Facebook, mm. Twitter, um, et cetera. And what they say is that, you know, here, this is the content, uh, keep watching it. We want your attention and uh, get addicted to it. And um, because, you know, this is ad revenue. The next generation of technology, I think, would, you know, what I would like to call it, it's a creator's internet. 
which is a little bit like Apple, like Adobe uh, in the last generation and Microsoft to a certain extent. Basically, they said, human, what would you like to create? Let me help you. Let me create the better, faster, and uh, more creative. So I think what, what we're about to see with Gen AI is very much this kind of creator's internet. Mm. Jen, I think we're almost out of time. Let me ask you, what would you like to really get across to people to create a, a shift in people's understanding and perhaps their perception of AI? I think, first of all, everybody should just learn as much math as possible. Because once you understand the fundamentals, what AI can and cannot do become much more clear, much more logical. Secondly, for parents, schools, um, don't stop the gener- you know, younger generation using AI. Let them embrace AI, but with guidance, with safeguards, mm. because it's the reality that uh, generative AI, AI will become very much part of our life. So we need to learn how to use it, but you know, understand how to use it well, use it responsibly. Mm-hmm. Third, I think, especially now, Gen AI is very much built on the underlying data. I think for people, either you're a company decision maker of a non-tech company um, or you as individual or as a parent, be very careful about your data because uh, the world will be run on this massive engine that is called AI and uh, the oil that's fueling the engine is really data created by largely individuals uh, like UME and um, by a lot of companies as well, they're not really benefiting from data economy. So protect your data, don't share unnecessary information, always choose companies uh, providing tech solutions that care about your privacy, care about your data protection. Um, And for companies that have a lot of data, don't know how to use your data, make sure you have a very clear data strategy that will allow you to protect your proprietary data going forward instead of giving your data away to some third-party commercial companies who run large models. Wise words indeed. Very, very wise words. Words to live by. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy life to join us on the Being Human podcast. It's been absolutely eye-opening. Yes, it has. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Amelia and Jess. It's been a pleasure talking to both of you. Well, Jen is an extremely impressive individual. I have to say, I loved her attitude that anything is possible, remain curious, learn hard, work hard, and that will lead to you achieving. I think that was really important. Mm. That really struck a nerve with me. Um, I think from a personal perspective, the message of you are enough really resonated. And I think so many more people, young people could do with telling themselves that and have other people tell them that. So that personally resonated. But in terms of the conversation about AI, I've left that conversation with Jen feeling reassured that looking at AI in a positive way and in an excited way about what's about to happen is definitely the way forward rather than feeling um, afraid. I think it's left me particularly excited about looking out for how future developments of AI could help tackle some real world problems and issues that we have. I think, you know, Jen's examples of some of the ones within the medical field, I think will be really interesting to now pay close attention to. Mm. But what what did you think? Well, I must admit, I felt more than a little bit out of my depth um, (laughs) talking to Jen about the world she inhabits. 
But then I suppose given that it's an area that's challenging some of the smartest people on the planet, um, that's probably to be expected. Yeah. I did spot your confused face a couple of times through the conversation, but I think I think we we held it in and we kept it going, so it was Blockchain. good. Blockchain. Yeah. Did you see, see the look of panic on yeah. my face? What a fascinating topic, though, and very closely linked to what it means to be human. You know, like many people, I suspect, in my mind, I envisage a sort of rise of the machines terminator mm. scenario yeah. uh, when I hear stories about the existential threat of AI and the danger that it presents. It hadn't occurred to me that perhaps the more real danger is the potential widening of the gap between humans that have access to technology yeah. and, and all the opportunities that that brings and those that don't. So mm. that I thought was quite profound actually for Definitely. me. Um the other thing that struck me as a, as a real positive was the power that AI will bring to human creativity. So we have some big challenges as humanity to address, yeah. whether that's climate change, health, education, food production, you know, migration of people and so on. Um, using AI to sort of safely drive innovation in those areas has got to be a good thing yeah, to absolutely. my mind. Um, but yeah, really, really thought provoking. Well, that's all from us for another episode of the Being Human podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you did enjoy this episode, then please do hit the like button, follow button, and give us a review on whatever platform you are using. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you, our listeners. So if you have any suggestions on topics you'd like us to explore, or if you'd like to be a guest, or if you want to talk to us about the work we do at Just Add Water, just get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the Being Human podcast. Brought to you by Just Add Water. Nurturing individual brilliance, forging collective strength. The Fortune Global Tech Forum in 2019. Had. <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> You, um, I was concentrating so hard. Can you snip it that out and send it to me? I want that for when an email arrives. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer was one of Fortune's the most influential. <laughs> Joining us today, we have got the brilliant Jennifer. I can't do this. I actually can't. I might actually need to go get some pressure. <laughs>